HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is supported by Pop M, a unique shop located in Littleton, New Hampshire, and by New York Mutual Trading, the premier Japanese food, alcoholic beverage, and restaurant supply specialist. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, August 8th, 2018. This is the 187th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the founder and CEO of a fast-fine restaurant concept based in San Francisco, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to put your knowledge to good use and be an advisor. Once you've gained valuable work and life experience, find ways to give back and teach. Your successes and mistakes can provide valuable lessons for others in their own pursuits. Perhaps you may not think you have that much wisdom to share, but most likely you do, and you can help those with less expertise. Advising will not only enable others to achieve their goals, but it will make you feel good in return. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest calling in from the West Coast on the show today. It is Charles Bililis. He is the founder and CEO of Suvla, fast fine Greek restaurants with locations in San Francisco. A Greek American, Charles comes from a family tradition of restaurateurs and is deeply passionate about the hospitality experience. He holds degrees in hospitality management from Cornell University and culinary arts from Johnson and Wales University. Charles moved to California in 2006 and worked for Chef Thomas Keller, as well as Chef Michael Mina, and now he leads strategic development at Suvla. So hello, welcome Charles. Hi Sherry, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to chat with you. Likewise. Uh, So the first thing I have to ask, because I might have already messed up, is um, how do you pronounce your last name? Yeah, there's a lot of I's and L's in there. It get a little <laughs> confusing. I didn't both to spell and to pronounce. I have to. I catch myself when I write it out. I have to go back and make sure I put all the I's and L's in. Um, it's actually pronounced Bolillos. Bolillos. Okay. Bolillos. Yeah. Bolillos. I'm trying to like. Yeah. I, I hope I. I'll get it right the next time. Um. Yeah. It was one of those. I hadn't really given it that much thought until I, I did try to say it. <laughs> like on paper, I'm like, oh, that looks really pretty. <laughs> so um, I, will, I will try to get that right. So um, 
let's let's go into your background a little bit and how you got involved in in the culinary industry and uh, what what your steps were and what led you to to go to to study culinary arts. Yeah, sure, of course. So, uh, I mean, in, as, as you sort of mentioned in the the, the intro, there there is a little bit of a of a family history. Um, in in the restaurant space, uh, not directly through my parents, uh, but certainly through my grand my, my grandparents, both of my grandfathers, one of whom, um, you know, owned and operated restaurants um, in the Boston area for for a number of years, and actually sort of transitioned over into into teaching um, culinary arts, and this is in Boston in the seventies and eighties. Um, my uh, my other grandfather on my mother's side uh, came over from Greece. Um, in in the in the early '70s, and was just a one of those naturally talented cooks. Um, and obviously, being in a Greek family, uh, much like the Italians and, and so many other sort of uh, you know um, sort of uh, groups that have these sort of strong cultural uh, relationships with with food, you know, food very much dominated day to day life. You know, so much of things were were, were done around the dinner table. Um, obviously, you know, Easter being a, a huge sort of uh, celebration there. Uh, fun fact, my, my first words um, as, a, as a human um, were actually ordering lunch uh, at, at, at the table with my parents on, on vacation. It was literally, it was translated roughly to hamburger, french fries, lemonade. Uh, those are my first words. So uh, <laughs> I guess you could say that there's a, there's a, there's a certain amount sort of built into my, into my DNA. Right. Um, and so, and so, what was interesting um, is I, I made kind of a, a, a radical shift uh, coming out of high school, not really wanting to be um, in, in in the food space and in the and in the the restaurant space. And, and about halfway into uh, my first year of college, where I was studying natural resources, I, I kind of had this sort of um, epiphany. I was back from break. I was cooking for a bunch of friends. Um, and the light bulb kind of went off, and it's like, hey, listen, this is this is really what I love to do. Why am I not doing it? And so I kind of came came off of that break and, and you know talked to my parents and said, "Mom, Dad, I want to go to culinary school." So um, I wrote out the year and then and then transferred over to to, to Johnson and Wales. Um, and so I was uh, going to culinary school during the day and I was cooking at night. Um, and so that kind of parlayed over time to um, wanting to um, transition out of the kitchen um, in a way, or or at least be able to get a, a sort of a business background in it. And so I. Um, ended up uh, going to the hotel school at Cornell University as a transfer student, um, learning uh, not only the, the sort of dining room side of things, but also you know the the uh, mechanics from the from the sort of business and 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 um, administrative side of things as far as you know the restaurant and sort of hospitality space. And I think very much right place, right time. Um, Got very very lucky um, with you know just a number of things coming together, but had the the great fortune of uh, being Thomas Keller's uh, very first culinary assistant. It was a uh, it was a role that hadn't previously existed, so I got to create it. Um, and so that's how I moved across the country um, from uh, Ithaca, New York, to Yonville, California, in 2006. That's amazing. How how did you get that position and create it? Was that through was it through Cornell that you had a lead, or or did you just blindly uh, text <laughs> Thomas? It's probably before texting. I didn't have a I didn't have a cell phone number at the time. No, it, it, well, it was it, it really it really kind of came down to there was a there was a sort of pivotal moment, and and certainly you know one of one of my um, you know dear advisors and 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 good friend and and, and mentor is this gentleman. Um, who's still who's still teaching there? His name is uh, Giuseppe uh, Pizzotti. He's, he's kind of like the the sort of godfather, um, sort of in the restaurant space, not only at, at the at the at the hotel school, but very much knows all of the big chefs uh, across the country. Spends a lot of time down in in in, in New York City, and and because I had transferred in with a lot of industry experience, um, I was actually TAing a lot of his more sort of senior food and beverage classes, even though I hadn't taken them. And so, and so one day, and he was also my, my, my advisor, and one day um, I was sitting in his office, it was probably, you know, six months before graduation, and I didn't have a job. And I was like, Giuseppe, what am, what, what am I going to do? It's like, you know, I don't know if I really want to go back and, 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 you know, work the line now that I kind of have this sort of business background, but I also, you know, want to be involved in 
in restaurants. It's like, you know, I, you know, where do I, where do I go from here? And, 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 and his, and his infinite wisdom, it was just kind of, like, you know, very, very commonly just said, it was like, well, you know, who do you, who do you want to work for? You know, or, or, or mm-hmm. where do you want to work? What's your, what's your sort of ultimate? Um, and certainly for me then, and um, this is, you know, 2000, early 2006, um, you know, the French laundry was, was, was sort of like my, my sort of Shangri-La, you know, and, and I was just like, well, I mean, I would do anything if I could work at the, at the French Laundry, and, and uh, Giuseppe actually knew um, the woman who, who ran all of uh, PR for the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, mm-hmm. and literally, I was sitting there in the office, you just, you just pick up the phone. Oh, that's great. Um, and <laughs> and so it was it was a little bit of like you know that 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 kind of connection there, and so that just started a conversation because clearly I knew that I probably didn't have enough culinary talent to work in the kitchen at, at the French Laundry. I was relatively realistic. I was you know had had a number of years of professional kitchen um, experience, but you know I didn't think that I was on that level. That's like if you know that's like me playing you know, freshman soccer and thinking that I can go, you know, play in the World Cup, you know. So, so, um, but it, it did start a conversation. This was something that they were, uh, it was a role that they were kind of talking about uh, internally and they were looking for someone that had, you know, working knowledge of, of, of professional kitchens, but also, you know, knew how to use a computer for to, to sort right. of oversimplify. So. Right. So then, so then how long were you with Thomas Keller and what's, what's a, a lesson learned or a takeaway, something maybe that, that you, you know, that sticks out in your mind that you came away from working with him and his restaurants? Sure, of course. I moved, so I, I started at, at the French Laundry in, in 2006 um, and was uh, and was there uh, exclusively and then ended up spending some time uh, at Bouchon Bakery uh, with the uh, part of the opening of, of Ad Hoc and then also sort of ultimately was... Um, was the was the sort of guinea pig for 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 their uh, internal uh, management training program? So I actually by by proxy became a dining room manager at Bouchon Bistro. Um, so I got kind of full exposure to to all of the the, the Yonville properties, uh, and so I was there for about a total of about two and a half years. Um, and I think that you know the 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 two biggest things for me really uh, one of which in which I very much now you know instill. In, in my teams is, is, is to be able to think and act as if, as if this restaurant or these restaurants were yours, right? And, and so, and, and Thomas's example, which has is, is certainly been, been written about, but, you know, very much embodied, if, you, if, you're, if you're walking, you know, in front of the restaurant or whatever, you know, on the sidewalk nearby and you see, you know, a piece of trash, you see a, you, you see a cigarette butt, you know, most people would just kind of continue to walk by, but this is your restaurant, right? This is like this mm-hmm. is you know emblematic of of of, of what it represents. So you, you stop, you, you and you pick up that that piece of trash, and you and you and you throw it away, you know. And so and so that is is you obviously talk about you know to to your team, but you also uh, embody and and by and by doing that and 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 show you know showing these people and and, and pointing that thing out, you know they're going to be more apt. To do it, they're going to be more to tell their, you know, the people that, that are working under them to, to to notice those things, and, and that kind of parlays into sort of the larger thing. Is you know, Thomas uh, has an, an incredible reputation, but certainly one of them is is um, for just how incredibly detail oriented uh, he is um, with every little thing. Mm-hmm. And so, what was very interesting about being um, in this interesting support role for him is not only did I have to be able to think like him, um, but, but I had to be able to see the things that he was seeing. But not only did I have to see the things that he was seeing, I had to, I had to uh, be at least two steps ahead, you know, because I knew, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it got to a point where it's like I knew, I knew the questions that he was going to ask and I was prepared with answers for them because it's kind of like a, like, a, like a game of chess where I, where, where I was always, I always kind of had to be two moves ahead to be uh, successful in that, in that role. So, so with that, you know, you just become, Mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly detail oriented, and, and and what I've been very very fortunate to do now, you know, four and a half years in at at, at Sula is I have a a, a, a team of um, operations managers and GMs and, and kitchen managers that uh, that that over time and certainly started very early when I was uh, in in the restaurants, you know, all day every day is that is that you you effectively train people to to sort of think and act. Um, like you, and notice the things that you that you notice to the point where it's almost like intuitive, right? I can see it. I can be standing across the restaurant, see a table that needs to be bust, 
and someone sees that I'm looking at that, even though it's all the way across the restaurant, and someone's jumping on it and is, and is busting that, that table. Right. Yeah, no, it's great. It's taking ownership, and yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've, I haven't worked for Thomas Keller, but I've, I've been to his restaurants, and, and you notice all those details, and, and what, I mean, it, why he's been so successful and brings, uh, makes it such a special experience for, for people who are, who are visiting. And actually, I always think of, when I think of Bouchon, um, I think it's like the only thing open late <laughs> in 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 the yeah. Napa Yachtville area, I ended up there at like like eleven o'clock at night one night when I came in because because um, it was the best decision uh, to to go there, and I was glad it was open. Yeah. Um, and before before we'll, we'll get into Suvla, just also you worked with Michael Mina, who was another uh, really uh, well well established, well you know credit. Uh, credited uh, chef in the industry. What was your experience like mm-hmm. with that? Um, also very interesting because I performed uh, initially a, a very, very similar role for Michael as I did for, for Thomas in, in that kind of culinary assistant role. And there were a number of people that were former Tiki RG alum that had, that had moved to the city to go work for, for, for Michael. So we were amongst a, a bit of a, a tribe of, of, of people that all kind of knew knew each other and sort of spoke the same language. Um, but what was interesting is that is that my career with Michael evolved a little bit more because I, I ended up uh, going down to open RN74 in 2009, which was his uh, Burgundian-themed uh, sort of wine, very, very wine-driven restaurant that, that he opened in, in collaboration with, uh, with Raj Parr. And so I, was, I went down in a little bit more of like a, a task force-type role um, to just kind of assist, you know, the GM and, and, and the chef with kind of a lot of the sort of various um, admin type uh, functions. And I ended up uh, becoming the restaurant's assistant general manager. So it was it was, it was supposed to be a, a, a bit more of a, a temporary thing and it ended up becoming far more permanent. And I think, you know, the the biggest takeaway from, from me in my time with, with the MENA group and, and certainly at, at RN74 is that that is very much a, a restaurant and a, and a restaurant group that is truly run like a business, um, which I really really uh, appreciate. And so and they're and they're very very transparent with their with their operations teams and, and, and their managers about the about you know the numbers about the uh, financial um, importance of of you know making sure that costs are in line and, and you know here's where the revenue stands you know month over month or year over year and and you know monitoring check averages and and, and you know doing pretty comprehensive P and L reviews. Um, so that kind of evolved to the point where, where I got pretty heavily involved um, in that process because that was something that I really wanted to, to, to take on, and, and this, this gave me the opportunity to, to do it. Um, and it's, and it's, um, so I ended up, you know, by the end of the time, I was, I was you know, writing the annual budgets for that, for that restaurant. Um, and that's, that's definitely something that we've, that we've carried on here at Supla. We do, we're, we're with, our, with our restaurant teams, we're, we're very, very transparent uh, about the the business component of running one of our restaurants. Our our, our GMs are now tasked with with um, you know doing P and L reviews uh, with our with our leadership team every month. You know they 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 start to learn um, not only how to read a P and L but also you know how to how to react to it. You know if if you know food cost is is is, is running high, being able to start to do that sort of diligence and, and try to figure out exactly what's going on and then, and then address the problem and then be able to watch the systems that they put into place and how that actually affects the operation and, and, and to, and to come, you know, from, from a month where, you know, food cost was maybe, you know, two points above where it needed to be. And then all of a sudden to, to see it not only come down to it, to its target, but actually to see it beat its target. Um, so that's that, you know, that's what, what I spend a lot of my time, now working with our with our various restaurant teams um, in, in, in terms of educating them because for me, you know, having that that experience going into writing a business plan and certainly opening and and, and operating a restaurant was was huge and, and and I know that you know a lot of times you know people become very savvy in, in the in the actual operations the day to day of you know greeting a guest or busting a table or, or opening a bottle of wine but you know we all have to remember that it doesn't really get spoken about enough that at the end of the day, a restaurant is a business just like any other business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And certainly uh, sounds like, and I know you have, you've applied uh, what you've learned from, from working with these, these chefs and these restaurant groups into what you're doing today. 
And uh, we are going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk all about Suvla and how you came up with this this fabulous idea. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Pop M, a unique shop teeming with vibrant colors and a wash in pop art, located in Littleton, New Hampshire. Its alternative cafe marries healthy and fresh with luscious and decadent treats. At Pop M, indie brands and local artists mingle, bringing quality and hot off the press style. Follow Pop M at popm.nh. This episode is also brought to you by New York Mutual Trading the premier Japanese food, alcoholic beverage, and restaurant supply specialist. Mutual Trading is the Japanese food authority, true to the heart in upholding genuine Japanese food traditions and progressive in exploring new ways to provide innovative restaurant supplies and services. They import, export, distribute, and manufacture the top brands for retailers and food service customers nationwide. Learn more at nymtc.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Charles Bolalese. He is the founder and CEO of Suvla, which is a group of fast, fine Greek restaurants. And they're based in San Francisco. So, Charles, let's talk about Suvla, how did you come up with the idea and this term fast fine that I'm using is that, you know, that's, that's kind of like a new, a new term in the industry. Um, uh, I mean, how would, how would you define it and everything you're doing uh, with your restaurant group? Sure. Well, I think to, to, to tell the, the story of Suvla in a nutshell, there's actually, there's, there's kind of two, two components to it. One of which is, is, is the actual, brand and product, which, which really centers around the modernization of, of what's commonly known as the gyro or, or uh, souvlaki sandwich and, and kind of moving away from um, what has been in, in the U.S., especially since about the early 70s, this, this kind of processed mystery cone meat um, with kind of the, the, the out-of-season tomato and, you know, raw white onion um, into, into something that, you know, uh, focuses around uh, whole-roasted um, whole muscle cuts, you know, whole lamb legs, whole pork shoulder, whole chicken, um, you know, on, on our warm fluffy pita with very creative yogurt sauces and, and fresh seasonal uh, organic produce. So, um, so, there's, so there's that side of it. Um, and then that's obviously, you know, expanded to include salads and um, very traditional Greek side dishes and the country's only all Greek beverage list. Um, and then there's the there's the there's the business side of it, which which really um, sort of takes my fine dining background and uh, and and sort of you know business understanding and and trying to think about okay how do we how do we take a lot of the the service standards and 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 touch points and sort of general guest experience of a of a fine dining uh, restaurant or or, or fine dining uh, experience and how do we distill that down to the uh, essentials and, and, and create, uh, you know, a very viable, profitable sort of business model. I think that, that fine dining as a, as a business model is uh, fundamentally flawed, right? There's, there's, there's so much that has to go into creating these, these very high-end uh, experiences, certainly the, the, the amount of labor and, and all of the little details um, that is not generally super, super viable. Um, and so this was, was kind of the, the the sort of counterpoint to that, um, where it's where it's it's not fast food, it's not fast casual. Um, there are certain elements um, that we have really sort of pioneered in this in this in this model that, that we call fast fine. Other people call fine casual. It has you know it's 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 gone by um, a couple different names, but really Subla was 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 one of the first um, to sort of take counter service to the 
the next level, right? We have a we have a very simple streamlined menu, and you do order from the counter, but you're not ordering from some, some kind of big overhead um, menu that you see in a conventional, you know, uh, fast casual or, or fast food restaurant. It's a you know small beautiful you know paper menu and a little, a little menu board, and you're and you're having a, a conversation with the purpose with the, with the person behind the counter. Um, but then, you know, from there, you know, you're, you know, the, the seating is, is open seating, so you're, so you're finding, you know, yourself a place to sit, um, and your, and your food is, is, is brought to the table and it's served in this beautiful uh, enamelware. You're not doing the, the, the fast casual going through the sort of serve line and kind of watching your, 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 your dish come together and saying, oh, I want extra of this or none of that right. or any of that stuff, and you're kind of walking with this, with this tray. You go and you and you and you find a place to sit. Um, I made mention we have the country's only all Greek beverage list. We also have our own line of Greek wine uh, and Greek beer, um, which are served in proper stemware and in, and in regular glasses. Um, and if you come, even though you know the restaurant's open straight through 11 a.m. to to, to 10 p.m. You know, you can come in and, and take a business meeting or meet up with a girlfriend, you know, and or just order online and, and, and grab food to go. But if you come back at night, the lights are down, there's candles on the table, everyone's drinking wine. Um, it looks and acts and feels like a full-service restaurant, even though you've ordered from a counter, you know. So, and you can come in whenever you want. You don't have to make a reservation. You know, you're not, you're generally not waiting for a, a place to sit. It's kind of a self-regulating uh, system in there, um, so you don't have to kind of get too caught up with 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 what you see um, in a even just in a in a in a standard full service restaurant. Yeah, no, it's I I was in San Francisco uh, about a year ago, and I went to your Hayes Valley location, and mm-hmm. it was a late lunch time, and I uh, there was a little line. I ordered. I mean, the space. Uh, I just remember the service and and how I was made feel. Uh, I was very well taken care of to the point that I remember after I ordered, I went to the bathroom and I had ordered my food to go, but somebody had noticed I'd gone to the bathroom. It was like when I came out, had my, had my food ready for me. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and it was, and I took it to the park, but I mean, the ambiance of, of your space was, it's beautiful. You know, it's very, well, it's very you. welcoming. I found bright yeah, and, 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 that, and that's, yeah, that's the other that's the other sort of side of it. There's a there's a there's a tremendous amount of of thought uh, and energy that goes into the design and uh, aesthetic of our of our restaurants, right? To, and, and so much of what we do, uh, whether it's from a, uh, a design standpoint, whether it's from a, a touch point of a, a glass of a, a plate. Uh, you know, a napkin. Um, all of it is kind of done with the with with this with with this thought or this question is 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 it nice enough to bring a date to? And you know the the you know which just date? sort of generally with <laughs> with, with, with your with your with your with your conventional kind of uh, fast food or or, or fast casual restaurant. It's it, you could say that generally by and large no. Right, but with but with Suvla, especially you know, you come at night or even during the day, it doesn't really matter. That that like we have restaurants that we think are nice enough uh, to bring dates to, and we know this for for a fact because and this is one of those sort of ancillary things that, that you that you never really think about. Um, but we and we've been super super fortunate to over the last four and a half years really become a part of the of the cultural fabric of San Francisco. We've we've had a number of people um, that have had their first dates at Suvla that have gone on to get married. Uh, we get, oh, wow. you know, generally about once a month, you know, we get, we get, uh, requests and asking for people of uh, asking for us to, to cater their wedding, <laughs> That's uh, pretty cool. because, because they either, they either, they either met at Tuvla or they had their first date at Tuvla. Wow. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, no, I could yeah, see it exactly. being a date place. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's, 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 um, welcoming for solo diners, for groups, for, for, you know, for, for all occasions, which, which you know says a lot. And um, what? How how many locations do you have now? It's it's four. Is that correct? We uh, three three, and we're actually uh, in the in the midst of building out our fourth San Francisco uh, restaurant. Yes. Okay. Are you? I mean, what are the what are your goals or your plans? Are you trying? Is it? Are you? You know, a big expansion? Are you? You know, going? You know, 
one step at a time through San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're we're. I mean, I am I am a, a, a very big big proponent of, of surely what we kind of classify here is 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 thoughtful growth, right? We don't we don't open restaurants just to open restaurants. We're 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 very very considerate about uh, about where we go. Um, and about when 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 we do it, um, and so uh, we like to have restaurants in iconic cities like San Francisco, but we also want them to be in very very notable, very iconic streets and neighborhoods. So when you when, when you think about about San Francisco, you know Hayes Valley, Nopa, the sort of Divisadero uh, corridor, Valencia Street in the Mission, Chestnut Street in the in the Marina. These are these are very iconic streets in, in very, very notable neighborhoods. Um, and so, so, and that's, that's gotten us, you know, to, to this point we have, we're, we're privately held. There's no, uh, institutional capital behind us. There's no one with, uh, exerting any sort of outside pressure that says you have to open X amount of restaurants per year, which is, you know, something that you see oftentimes with, with, with a lot of other kind of the, of the, of the fast casual brands, they'll, they'll take on, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in, in uh, external funding, and, and with this incredible pressure to grow, um, really for us, it's 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 dictated by real estate and by and by team. So we're about 130 employees now, and we've we found so much uh, success with developing and promoting from within um, that for us, it's actually this 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 sort of delicate balance about being able to not only you know we're very selective. From a, from a from a real estate standpoint, uh, but then also we, we want to make sure that we have the the team in place in advance, um, so that that we know that we can open these restaurants and, and, and have them perform just like the original uh, in in Hayes, you know, four and a half years ago. So our you know we're we're, we're setting our sights on on New York City. Um, Woohoo! Um, yeah, we, we uh, welcome for, you for for next year. Um, so we've, we've, we've kind of started that, that real estate search. Um, you know, I've been at it for about nine months now. So, um, still haven't found, you know, the right, the right spot. But, you know, again, it's for, for us, it's, it's, you know, we, we get, we get almost sort of surgical. It's just it, it, as far as, you know, we want to be not only in the right neighborhood, but we want to be, on, you know, on, on the right street, on, on, on the right block, on the right side of the block. You know, those are all things that, that, that may sound, sort of crazy and like too sort of detail uh, obsessive, but they, but they really, really make a difference. Even, even for our uh, original Hayes Valley restaurant, if we had opened it, you know, a block away or, or, you know, off of Hayes street, you know, I don't think that it would, that it would have performed, you know, the way that, the way that it uh, does now. Well, they've always said location, location, location. So exactly. find the right exactly. spot. Let me ask you my question from my my last show on episode 186 I had on Margaret Braun. She is a pioneering mm-hmm. cake designer, the author of Cakewalk, and her, her work transcends edible media to sculpture, illustration, design, and ceramics. So she wants to know, what makes a good retzina? Because she said she's she's had some that are delicious. She said some that are disgusting, and she wants to. She said from the gasoline retina to the drinkable one. And I don't even know yeah. if if you know. As I mean, you tell me. I don't know how popular or how many people even know. You know what retina is. I mean, maybe sure. so. That's the question. So it's actually um, it's actually funny because if you if you look at our at our menu and you look at, at the at, at the wine selection, we literally have our retina on there as, as and it's listed on the menu. It says yes, we have good retina. I saw um, that. Because, I saw that. I, because, yeah, uh, yeah, because you know retina. There's a there's a there's a pretty fascinating story you know behind it. Um, and it's, it's very, very easy, uh, to, and it's, and it's, and it's, you know, unfortunately been a, a, a bit of a stigma just amongst Greek wine in general, certainly for the last 20, 30 years, um, that, that a lot of people equate all Greek wine with Retina, right? Which is very much not the case. Um, Greece is making, you know, I think some of the best wines, certainly some of the best value wines in, in, in the world right now. And we're, and we're really, really proud uh, to be able to share in that. But to answer her, to answer her question, it's, it's, it's really about starting with a quality wine. So, you know, one, one of the reasons why, why you see so much bad retina is they actually use the pine resin to basically mask bad wine, you know, whether, mm-hmm. it's, whether it's totally flawed or just not particularly good. They're, they're, they just kind of layer it on there um, to kind of cover up what is effectively, you know, a, a, a poor quality wine. So first and foremost, you know, 
start start with a good wine, and then really it's about um, you know finding the right kind of balance in terms of being able to introduce that that pine resin or not. So we uh, at, at at our restaurants uh, currently pour um, this more modern style of, of resina that's made by a producer called Nia, uh, which is spelled like Gaia, like the uh, Italian winery. Um, um, but that, that basically, you know, has, has kind of modernized the, the Redsina. We, we kind of, kind of joke that it's, it's, it's the, it's the Subla of, uh, Redsina. Um, so you, where you're, where you're getting that kind of pine, almost menthol quality on, on the nose. And there's that kind of slight oxidation on the palate. Um, and it, honestly, it's a, it's, it's, it's one of those wines that I, that I, I like to put in front of my, my master sommelier friends blind because they kind of they, they, they don't get it or they're, they're like trying to kind of figure it out because it is admittedly like a bit of a, a geeky wine mm-hmm. and a lot of the wine geeks like to like to geek out on it. Um, so that's always fun. Um, it was also last year Eric Asimov's uh, number one wine experience uh, that he published in the in the New York Times was drinking. Uh, our Retina on the back patio of our uh, Nopa restaurant, um, which I thought was very, very cool. Amazing. Um, I it, had him on my yeah, show. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we didn't right. talk about uh, that, but I have to go back and look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, every every year at the, at the, at the end of the year, he, he publishes his, his top 10 sort of wine memories. And so that was his, that was his number one, um, which was really, really cool. Um, it's also one of those wines that I think for many is, is kind of a time and place wine, right? It's, it's, it's not for everybody, which is always why, um, we, we spend a lot of time educating our teams, uh, to be able to, to talk pretty, um, effectively about what it is and also be able to offer people, uh, tastes of it, um, so they can be a little bit more familiar with it, um, before, you know, committing to a glass or a bottle, um, because it is admittedly not for everyone. Um, but for me, it's, you know, I, I think it's 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 a great great seafood wine. I think it goes really well with, with cooked seafood. Um, it's also a really great cheese wine. Um, I think. Um, so yeah, I love it. Excellent. I love it. I'm learning a lot here. So um, that's great. We are going to take another break. We're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk a little industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I went down to North Carolina. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Charles Bouloules. It is time for my speed round game. So, Charles, what this is, is I'm going to name a few things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. So, are you ready? Vanilla. Okay. (laughs) That was good. That was a test run. You did good. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail, or champagne. I'm throwing in there on behalf of the Riddler. <laughs> oh man! Well, now, now, now there's a a, a bias when you're when you're bringing my wife's uh, champagne bar into question. I'm asking <laughs> well, champagne. Well, I mean, well, if I took out, well, the, I figured you might say that, but without the champagne, what would you uh, say? I would say. I would say I would say I would say wine, and technically champagne is a type of wine. Right. So I, I think I can I can be safe with saying wine. Okay, fair enough. How about uh, tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Okay, a few more. Ad hoc, Bouchon, or the French Laundry? Bouchon. Wow, you're able to pick. I'm 
Good job. <laughs> Athens or Santorini? Ooh. I'm going to say Santorini because that's where I got engaged. Okay. That's a, that's a lovely answer. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Last one. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or San Francisco? I'm going to say Manhattan. Oh, wow. Cool. Great. You are, you are speedy. You got the speed of the speed round. Most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, cool. Let's uh, talk a little industry news. So, there was sad, very sad news this week. Uh, Joel Rubichon uh, passed uh-huh. away. He was 70, yeah. 73. Um, he died of cancer. And uh, known as the chef of the century, uh, really. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, he earned more Michelin stars than any other chef. Uh, I saw he said 31, which is incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So it's really sad news. I mean, we've had uh, a, a few back-to-back um, people people passing away from Anthony Bourdain to Jonathan Gold to now Joel Rubichon. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, I know I'm I was very sad about it. And I think the whole industry is just sort of shaken up a little bit. I agree. I agree. hundred uh, percent. I think it's, it's always just a, a, you know, obviously all, all three of them made such monumental contributions in their own way to the industry and to, and to, I think just society as a whole. And just as far as how they view food and, and what's interesting is they've all, they all did it in very, very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just, it's a, it's a larger reminder to, to really take stock in, in, you know what you're doing, and the people that you're doing it with, and and your and your family, and your spouse, and your and your friends, and and your and your coworkers, and it's just kind of a reminder about how 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 precious life really is. Yeah, it really is. Um, he, yeah, I, I mean, I I think he he and all these all these people have impacted not just people in the industry, just people just by, by their careers and their, um, what they've, what they've brought to the table. And yeah, we have to, we have to savor every moment and, uh, uh, life can be short, but, um, it's, yeah, it's sad. I, I was, you know, reading a bunch about him and, and just even, I was thinking about how there was, you know, with, with Le Atelier and, and how he, was one article I was reading about uh, how you know introducing the bar stools and the more casual approach to fine dining, and then I started thinking about you a little bit with ca- casualization or fine dining, and just you know sure. like this was a way. This was this was many years ago that he did that, and there were other chefs too that were kind of brought this uh, uh, more casual approach to, but still having fine food, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. just maybe a little similarity with with thinking of souvla. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think that, you know, and, and, and whether it's, whether you, I mean, he, he definitely led the charge, you know, in that was, and was, you know, a, a solid decade ahead of his time with, with, you know, respect to just that kind of component. Um, but when you think about, about Subla and you think about sort of the, this, this growing fast time sort of genre that we're starting to see more and more people embrace, um, I, I truly maintain that this is how people, you know, want to eat you know, now and, and for the uh, foreseeable future. They want, you know, they want the quality, they want the value, but they also want that, that flexibility there. You know, whether you're ordering online, you know, and kind of popping in and, and, and picking up, you're, you're ordering in the, in the restaurant and taking it around the corner and eating in the park, you know, you're ordering for delivery or you're bringing a date. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the nice thing is, is, is that Subla can be many things to, to, to many people, um, at many times of day and many days of, of, of week, you know, so, right. um, and, and, and is able to kind of deliver on, 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 on all of those points. Yeah. So, well, um, I hope, I hope next week and all future weeks, I don't have all this sad news. <laughs> you know, I no. wait every week to see what, what's happening. And, and this was the story. So, um, sincere condolences to all his friends and family and, um, everyone that knew and loved him. So we are going to take another break, come back, I'm going to do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Carrie Diamond, host of Radio Cherry Bomb, the show about women and food on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in on Thursdays at 1 p.m. to hear interviews with the most interesting women in the world of food. Support our show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Maidon. Here's the rundown. The location, 1346 Florida Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C. The concept, a spotlight on North African and Middle Eastern flavors with a hearth fire pit as its centerpiece. The co-executive chefs, Gerald Edison and Chris Morgan, and the owner, Rose Prevet. So why did I go? Because Maidan has received a lot of accolades recently. Uh, best new restaurant on food and, by Food and Wine, Bon Appetit, Eater National, and I was really curious. So my experience. Since this is a popular place and they don't take reservations, my strategy was to go late. So I arrived a little before 10 o'clock. I knew they were serving dinner till 11. And uh, I was told the bar was my best option. And it was quite busy then, but I I waited about 10 minutes and I was able to get a seat uh, that opened up. And a couple of seats opened. I was next to a nice couple that was also waiting. And my server really took nice care of me. So what did I get? I had pita with Baruti-style hummus. I had eggplant from the fire with Georgian walnut sauce and pomegranate molasses. And I had the Aleppo, which was lamb kebab with pistachio. I also had some condiments on the side. I had the garlicky tomb and the sweeter esme, which was tomato, onions, peppers, and pomegranate molasses. Uh, My server also brought me a little taste of the cabbage because I was curious about it, which was cool that I got to taste that. So my take, everything was fabulous, really. Super flavorful. It all went so well together. I really loved it, and I could see why this restaurant was was receiving all this amazing press. So the ambiance, it's a sexy darkwood setting. It has a fiery amber glow from the fire pit, which is in the middle of the room. And it has a large bar. It has a few tables and then some upstairs seating. I'd say it's perfect for dining with friends, date night, or going solo. Interesting tidbit. Maidan defines its cuisine as food without borders, translating the food from the chef's travels and giving it a wood-fired touch. Personal fun fact, this was my second dinner of the evening. <laughs> of course, if I was there at 10, um, I stopped in earlier at Maketo, which is Eric Brunner Yang's restaurant serving Cambodian and Taiwanese fare. And I had there, I had a bunch of things. I had their Maketo fried chicken, which was fabulous. And full disclosure, I'm working with Eric, which was a main reason why I was in DC. So the cost was $29, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website's madeondc.com. Uh, Charles, have you been to D.C. and to Maidon? <laughs> uh, I have been to D.C., though, not in many years. And I have not been to Maidon. But uh, as you were talking about this, I went on their website, and it was very, very cool. Oh, so. yeah. Cool. It's, it's, it's a great spot. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, I recommend it. I think DC overall just has a very strong dining scene going on, and um, I, I find I'm I'm eating my way through the town as I'm I'm visiting. So uh, this one this one was it was a good one. Okay, yeah. so um, it's time for the final question. My next guest is Joe Guerrera. He is the owner of Citarella, which is a group of popular Epicurean markets, which started with one of the original most respected neighborhood seafood shops in New York. And Joe is also the author of a new book, cookbook out called Joe Knows Fish. So I don't know. You probably are familiar. I would. Are you familiar with Citarella? I feel like... It's yes. one of those. Yes, I've been. I've been. I'm, I'm familiar with, with with their one over in the uh, the West Village. I think it's on nine. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Ninth yeah, and sixth, yeah. I think. Yeah. Ninth and sixth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's. I think it's. It's kind of apt uh, that he that he's your next guest because I, I do have a, 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 a very good question for Joe. Though it's not probably. I think what he or you would probably expect. And and you know, he's done you know a really really great job of 
you know, of, of opening these, these very neighborhood-centric markets, right? We are in, in, in the process of doing our diligence in, in terms of trying to find the right neighborhood um, to, to open, you know, the first of what will hopefully be several, you know, New York Suvlas. Um, and, you know, one of the neighborhoods that we're eyeing certainly is the, is the, is the, the West Village there. So um, my question really is, you know, what, what is his process in terms of, you know, evaluating a neighborhood and sort of determining the, the right fit for, for him and for his markets? Um, and certainly, you know, as, as someone coming in, uh, with a, a working knowledge of, of, of Manhattan, um, but, and, and, you know, with a good enough understanding as far as knowing general neighborhoods as far as where we want to be, um, but being able to really sort of narrow it down to being like, okay, we want to be in this neighborhood and we want, and we want, we want to be on this street between this block and this block type situation. I'm just curious to, to know, you know, his, his sort of methodology behind it. I think that's a great question. I, yeah, I mean, there's, um, and I, I have a feeling he, he has, you know, some insight, <laughs> or at least he's, you know, uh, maybe a, a process that, that's helped him <laughs> over the years. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's great. I'm glad you, you asked it. Awesome. So, so uh, that's the show. And um, thank, yeah, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and hearing more about your background. And I, I'm, very impressed with everything you've done with Suvla, and I, I wish you much continued success. Sure, thank you so much, and, and thank you, uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's a, a big honor for me. Oh, thank you, and uh, I will. I'm I'm looking forward to when you find that location or locations. Uh, I will I will be a customer. <laughs> so. Me too. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so my guest today has been Charles Bouloules. He is the founder and CEO of Suvla Fastline Greek Restaurants in San Francisco. Their website is suvla.com and you can follow them at suvla and that's S O U V L A and also uh Charles is on social media. I'll spell his 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 uh social media handle. It's at C B I L I L I E S. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. You can find all of our shows archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And you can subscribe to my show and leave reviews. I would love to get your feedback. So if you could take a moment to do that, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again to my guest today, Charles. Thanks to my engineer, David Tadashore. And uh, thank you for being part of All in the Industry. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. On the top of the hill you see heaven.